The Truth News Network. Prices out of control, inflation rising, industries screaming out for materials, parts, qualified workers. How is it that Hollywood isn't feeling this? How is it the media aren't scrambling? Questions worth answering, but where do you get those answers? You get them here. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. I've got some answers. You've got some questions. I've got some too. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Good Friday edition of TNN Live. For those of you joining us for the first time today, hey, we do this every day, Monday through Friday. We do this. It's called TNN Live. What are we all about? We're about digging and finding truth. We're about uncovering, turning over rocks to find all kind of nuggets. And boy, do we have some of those nuggets for you today. For some of you, you remember Steve Baker called in and we had a long conversation with him about the January 6th debacle that happened up at the Capitol. Steve Baker is a photojournalist. He's from my town, Shreveport, Louisiana, but he was in the middle of what happened at the U.S. Capitol that day. And being a professional photojournalist, he had his camera with him. He had his microphone with him. He, uh, he videoed a lot and he saw a lot. And he talked to a lot of people. I asked Steve to come back and give us an update because there's this thing going on with this wonderful January 6th committee, a bastion of independence and truth. Uh, They don't have an agenda like Nancy Pelosi doesn't have an agenda. At the top of her agenda is kill Donald Trump. She can't bear to think about him coming back and getting in re-elected if that should happen. Steve, I hear you fumbling or rumbling around your your place of abode. You're with us now. How are you doing, you sir? Me. Hey, I'm good. Where are Very you? Good. Where are you today? Can you tell me that I'm or not, not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, you're back home then. Yeah. Well, you've been on a long journey and it's still going on. It is. Uh, there's, uh, there seems to be no insight to uh, end insight yet to what uh, is is developing. And I mean, the story the story began over a year ago, 14, 15 months ago, and it's not over yet. Well, why don't you do this? We we have a lot of people here that this show is growing that weren't here the first time and the second time when you came here. Why don't you lay the groundwork for your being in D.C. on January 6, 2020, what you were going for? And uh, then we'll take a little break, come back, and let you tell us exactly what happened when you were there. And I'm sure you can talk about the expectations you had before you went, and then the reality rolled out when you got there. And then the third segment, I want you to tell us what's going on now. And I think folks that are listening really want to hang around to hear that because it's, it's really interesting what's happening. So why don't you tell us, start from the very beginning. Well, uh, there's as some of them uh, or some of your listeners will recall, recall, there were there was a lot leading up to January 6th. Sure. Uh, obviously, we had a an election controversy, uh, regardless of where you come down on the the fact or fraud of the election. And what I was most interested in, because as I've mentioned before. I was never a big Trump guy, and in fact, I, I did not support him at all in 2016. 
but I did come around. I did vote for him in 2020. Uh, but it was kind of a, it was it was more of a block the Biden the Biden vote for me in, in 2020, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, it, there 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 was really no other choice for me as far as I could see because we the handwriting was on the wall that this new administration would be a disaster if Biden came in, and and we've seen that come to reality. So my personal reason for being in uh, Washington, D.C. on January 6th was no more complicated than just to cover the story of what was happening at the time. As, as again, just to remind everybody, there was supposed to be a big announcement. There was supposed to be this unleashing of the Kraken or whatever uh, on, on the 6th where we were going to learn something that was going to um, uh, alter the the landscape or the the direction of what was happening uh, as a result of the, of the election. And so as a result of that, and with the expectations of that kind of announcement, hundreds of thousands of people arrived in D.C. Uh, and I estimated there was between, I know some people have estimated much larger crowds, but I've, I've done a video analysis and, and, and done the math and measured the acreage of the the ellipse in the washington monument lawn and uh how many people were were gathered and I, i've estimated the total crowd between 400 and 600,000 that were there let, that, let that. me let me stop you let's let's just yeah. get a little editorial right here yeah what were your thoughts when you saw the size the massive number of people that were there it obviously well, represented that there were a lot of americans that really wanted to find out what was going to happen in the aftermath of that November 2020 election that we all know. I mean, it's come out more and more and more in courts around the nation, at least in Mm -hmm. five states, those votes were manipulated. Whether there were enough votes that would have overturned the results, it really doesn't matter. It just makes everybody that is a conservative without, almost without exception, believe that this presidency wasn't, done the right way the election right right well the 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 crowd the crowd size itself was breathtaking i mean i i had to be perfectly honest i'd never been in a crowd that size i mean the only thing comparable to a crowd that size is you know uh, an inaugural event when you have hundreds of thousands of people gathered there um you know in the uh the the capitol mall sure that sort of thing and and of course there have been there have been some independent events uh, occasionally that have that have been that size but I personally have never attended one of those so standing in a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people and it was it was it was interesting because it was a rather windy it was a brisk and cold day and so having thousands and thousands of banners and flags whipping in the breeze added to the spectacle itself then when I started analyzing and taking and really focusing on who was in the crowd it was a pure cross-section of Americana. There was, in in the area where I was and where I was videoing at the time, there were there was no evidence whatsoever of people that would be, um, you know, even thinking about doing anything untoward or doing anything violent or, or rioting later in the day. It was just a sea of people wearing Trump paraphernalia, carrying flags, American flags, uh, Gadsden flags, you know, flags and banners of all types. And it was a big party uh, is what it was. Now, I also wrote, because I've written extensively about this, 
is that the event itself was not as well prepared for a crowd that size as they should have been. I, and I don't know where the breakdown was in, in estimating how many people would show up because the, the Capitol Park uh, Police and uh, other authorities there, they're able to estimate the number of people descending on Washington for any event just based upon travel arrangements, airline schedules, train uh, schedules, uh, hotel reservations, that sort of thing. And for whatever reason, they were just not prepared for a crowd that size. There were there were several things that were missing that day. For when you when you start thinking about being in the middle of a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people, first thing is there were no restrooms. I mean, there were were there, yeah, but there were they were woefully unprepared for that crowd. Second thing, there's no food vendors. Third thing, there were no police officers, and that was the most stark thing. As I went back after the day and looked at my videos, I could I could do 360 scans, and I did several of them of this inter- incredible crowd, and not one single time did a law, law enforcement officer show up in my uh, camera frame. That had to shock you. It, it's it, I, I will tell you, in the moment, it was not impactful because I didn't know what was coming later in the day. But when, in hindsight, it was it was a uh, very shocking. Well, you just don't you don't expect to be any, in, especially in the nation's capital. You don't expect to be there without seeing a law enforcement officer or several on every corner. Where there were none in, that's, in my camera frame at all. That's a very important point, and that's going to play yes, out for years and years to come. You know, we have all of these uh, political scandals through the years. These big events. These big occurrences happen and we never get any factual information. Nancy Pelosi is, as the Speaker of the House, technically in control of making sure the U.S. Capitol is protected and everything is handled there. I don't think we'll ever know because it's been going back and forth. Who who fell down on the job? There were, there were definitely not enough police that were there that day and all of the things that you mentioned like restrooms and stuff like that. That's a big deal when you you knew there were going to be hundreds of thousands of people there. Anyway, whether it was 300 or 600, you knew there was going to be a bunch of people there. Two things that you always know you've got to have is protection and you've got to have restroom availability for crowds that size. One would think that might have been purposefully done that day. I don't know that and that's a conspiracy theory. I'm not saying that's what it is. But there were so many little things like that that day that you shared with us before that just didn't seem to fit. It was kind of unsettling. Everything didn't tie together as being normal. The the organizing committee had originally only sought a permit for the day for about uh, 15,000 people. And that was the actual original permit permit filing. And then only two days before January 6th, the organizing committee up to that they went back to the park police and they they raised their permit um number to thirty thousand. <laughs> and, and dan i i don't i don't know about you but i i i already knew just from the the instinct and the feel that was coming from my own readership and from my own uh my own connections to throughout all the social media platforms that, that I write for and write on that this crowd was going to be larger than that. I don't know how they, they so um, 
woefully underestimated that crowd size. Well, they missed so it. it. They missed it. Well, and a, a lot of the results were because they missed it and didn't plan for it. I've dropped you, Dan. Hello, are you there? Testing, one, two, three. I'm here. Can you okay. hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine. Yeah, you're breaking up on my on your side. Or maybe it's me. I think it may be on your side because you sound great on the air. Oh, okay. I was I was saying it was a it was a woeful job of preparation. Somebody missed something. Now, of course, there's finger pointing going around, and everything stops at the top. One thing about being a Democrat today and being in political power in D.C., you never have to admit any kind of responsibility for anything that happens, regardless if it's directly because of actions you took or didn't take. Uh, that's part of the environment up there that hacks off Americans from coast to coast. Sure, sure. So let's well, let's go from let let's go from you were at the White House. The president was speaking. Had other speakers there, and then everything moved to the Capitol. Talk about just for a second how that went and the timing for that. Well, the timing the timing for me is is specifically related to believe it or not the lack of preparation and planning that they had at the rally itself. The um, the the scene at the rally. If you weren't up actually down in the ellipse area, if you were one of the biggest, you know, part of the crowd that ultimately was the largest part of the crowd up at the in the Capitol uh, or the uh, rather the uh, Washington Monument lawn, uh, you you just really had a bad experience in terms of video and audio. There they were they were again once again woefully unprepared uh, with their production values there was very very little sound reinforcement it was it was not uh, not professionally set up for a crowd that size uh, it, they had speaker placements you know staggered but they didn't have the the you know the um, the time delay on these because once you get a crowd that size and you get so many you get so many uh, feet away or so many hundreds of yards away then you start picking up uh, double and triple and quadruple audio signals yeah. Yeah. Uh, when they're not electronic or uh, uh, electronically signaled and timed, and then in addition to that, there was only one large uh, giant jumbotron in the middle of the Washington Mon- Monument lawn. And again, if you weren't close to it, you just couldn't see it. So it was cold. It was windy. On top of that, President Trump was exactly an hour late taking the stage. He, he was supposed to take the stage at 11 a.m. He didn't take the stage till 11:57. And so being an hour late, uh, people being cold, they had already been there for hours trying to get good position, uh, no restrooms, no food, unless they brought some provisions on their own. Uh, a lot of people started peeling off and leaving. And, and I was one of those myself and the, another writer that I was with that day, we, we decided because the plan had been all along and it was, it was very well published. It was, it was in all the literature. It was on the websites for the organizers that after the rally itself, there would be a March at the Capitol. Now there was no plan for a riot or a quote unquote insurrection, but there was a planned March on the Capitol. And in fact, there were other stages that were planned to be set up, uh, around the Capitol, where some of the um, lower-level, um, lower-tiered speakers would be addressing the, you know, the crowds. And what ended up happening is we started moving over about halfway through Trump's speech. So by the time I got to um, the 
the west side of the Capitol building, we were going down Constitution Avenue from the Washington Monument lawn. And by the time we got to the reflection pool on the west side of the Capitol where the big uh, monument, uh, free Freedom Monument is, the uh, there was apparently something going on already. And this was, you know, it's a, it's a long walk. It's, it's From where we were, it was about a mile, uh, about a mile walk, maybe a little bit more. And it, we, we were, we were cold. So we were walking briskly and we we're a couple of healthy gentlemen. So we, we could move pretty, pretty, uh, pretty fast. And by the time we got there, there was about another 15 minutes left in, um, uh, president Trump's speech and we could hear sirens going off. We could see, um, emergency vehicle vehicles moving toward the Capitol. And then as I, as I raised my eyes up and looked at the Capitol, I began to see, um, uh, Metro actual DC Metro police, not Capitol police. They're, you could tell the difference from their uniforms, uh, streaming down some stairways. And then I saw the first, um, signs of tear gas and the first sounds of flashbang grenades going off at that point. When you were making the trek, Yes. What about the correct. people that were around you? Did you see any strange things about no, the type of people? No, not at all. In, in fact, I videoed, I videoed, uh, I did again, I did some 360, you know, video uh, captures of the, the people that were walking towards the Capitol. And, and even before President Trump had finished his speech, there were already tens of thousands of people peeling off of that crowd and headed towards the Capitol. Right. And again, it was just a, it was just a cross section of Americana. It was it was everything you would expect uh, from average middle class American. There were there were older couples uh, slowly making their way. There were uh, people uh, pushing uh, baby carriages. Uh, it, it, it was it was a complete. There, there was no nobody wearing tactical gear. Nobody prepared for riots nobody wearing uh helmets and and carrying you know s- sticks and and uh whatever you know other types of blunt force weapons that were used on the front line of the battle that day but their point being is is that there was again no evidence that there was something going on until we got to the reflection pool and looked up and and could see and hear there was something uh not on the schedule for the day already taken place. So this was the first time when you got to the reflection pool, it was the first time you really, you really began to see there's something going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I looked over at the gentleman with me and I said, well, that's where I'm headed. And so, uh, we, we even, we doubled our pace yet again, got up there, made our way around the, the first kind of a little first area of steps and turned the corner. And as soon as we got to that terrace on the west side of the building, all hell had already broken loose. And it was uh, the, the very first things that I captured on my camera at that point were people actually receiving first aid. Uh, and that was, um, that was exactly one nineteen PM and Trump had just left the stage at one sixteen PM. And for the average person, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's depending upon where you're at, uh, at the rally, it would take you an hour to an hour. Uh, well, it, it would take, it would take anywhere from, uh, sorry, it, it's about a, either a mile to, or a mile and a half. So it's a, it's a pretty good walk, you know, and the average person is, is not walking, uh, uh, they're, you know, they're especially the type of people that were at that crowd. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't uh, Olympic um, uh, champions by any means. 
And so I was really stunned to see so many people already there. And the difference in the crowd when I arrived on that, that west side terrace where the, the, the battle line had already been formed was now I saw um, dozens and dozens of people in tactical gear, people that came prepared for violence. And that was the biggest difference between what I saw on the walkover and what I'd seen at the rally itself and then what I saw once I arrived at the Capitol uh, West Side. So at this particular point, when you were looking at this trip, I know you've, you, you thought, I have no idea what's, what I'm going to see because none of us do. That was one reason why the crowd was so big. Everybody thought there was going to be this, there was going to be that, the president was going to say this, and so everybody wanted to hear it. When did you first really realize there was violence and was going to be continued violence? Well, once again, my, my reason for being there was I was carrying a camera and a microphone and I, I intended to just interview people about their impressions of the day. That was my intent for being there. And I, I, unfortunately my microphone never came out and I never did a single interview with anybody because uh, of what ended up ultimately ended up happening. I, I ended up just being a person in, I don't want to say the right place at the right time or the, or the wrong place at the right time, but I, I was in that place where the, the, the scene happened. And so it was for the next solid hour at that point, uh, a little, in fact, a little bit more than an hour, I, my camera was rolling and I was capturing as much of this unfolding event as I could possibly get. And, and, and to be honest, Dan, it was, it was not something, I'm not a riot, you know, um, uh, or a war correspondent. This is not yeah. something that I look, I'm not one of those guys. There are guys that specialize in doing that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, guys, guys like Andy No and uh, Michael Yawn and, uh, uh, Elijah Schaefer and people that chase these types of events. And that's just not me. But once you're in the middle of it and the adrenaline is flowing, I got as close to it as I could. And uh, and quite quite frankly, sometimes I was uh, I, I I got hit with tons of, of tear gas. I took a couple of couple of really good hits of, of uh, pepper spray that were I, I never I was never a target um, because I wasn't doing any violence, but. Um, it was again. It was very windy. The cross breeze would catch that stuff, and even though, even though these these uh, crowd control measures were aimed at uh, more violent perpetrators that day, sometimes the wind would take them and, and push it my direction. And then, and then uh, at one point, I even got hit by one of those flashbang grenades. Uh, it, it landed right at my feet and bounced, and it, when it exploded, the shrapnel hug, uh, hit me in the knee, and I had a pretty good bruise for several months after that. Well, I, I want to fast forward here, and uh, I want to get you inside the Capitol. Um, for sake of time, mm-hmm. I, the, the thing I watched your most recent Rumble video yesterday, and the thing that just fascinated me was I saw the video that you talked about in your Rumble video about Ashley Babbitt being shot. I'm mm-hmm. not sure the vantage point of the video you saw, but the one that I saw was actually kind of to the left side over the shoulder of the Capitol policeman that shot her. And it was during the event. You couldn't tell what Ashley was doing. She was in front of him, probably 10 or 12 feet and had her back to him. 
And when the shot took place, he actually hit her in uh, the back left side of her neck. I want you to talk about that, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to take us from entering the Capitol to where you witnessed later, and you are a witness that Ashley Babbitt was dead, actually killed. There are people out there that are saying she didn't die, that it was it was planned, it was fixed, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But to me, the big details that are conflicting with the narrative that's out there in the population about people that were in the Capitol building. It's not quite like the narrative. And it struck me when we come back, I want you to get us to that point and tell us exactly what was happening, what you saw happening. Okay. Absolutely. Steve Baker joining us now today, and he'll be back in just a couple of minutes to take us all the way through what actually happened. He saw it all at the Capitol in D.C. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun. And you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342 Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Well, it's Good Friday. A lot of people listening in today aren't at work. Those of you who are listening at work, I want to say thank you for joining us here. Our special guest today, Steve Baker, photojournalist, blogger, podcaster, writer, and I guess basically a friend of mine. And Steve is a very special person because he's a legitimate photojournalist a real journalist, not just one that we see all the time that say they are and they're just editorialists. Steve was on the grounds at the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol, January 6th and witnessed firsthand a lot of what happened. There were so many people. 
and there was so much happening, he obviously couldn't see it all. But the narrative that's been out on the street for a year plus is not exactly what happened in a lot of little bitty ways. And I don't know, Steve, that we're ever going to know exactly what happened. We have this January 6th committee that is in the tank. Nancy Pelosi appointed them all. And because she would not allow the Republicans that the minority speaker chose to serve on the committee, she refused to let them serve on the committee. That's the first time in congressional history it's happened. We're not getting even close to a nonpartisan uh, result that's going to come out of that committee. It's totally politicized. Uh, They've made it very clear they're not going to issue their report until, guess what, the run-up to the election (laughs) in November. Go figure. But why don't you take us from outside, inside the Capitol, and give us the layout of what happened. Well, there was there was uh, essentially about an hour's worth, or there was a little over an hour's worth of this. Um, yeah, I, I, Dan, I really I really struggle on how how to define and describe and what terms to use about that battle line because let's let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah, uh, a, a a crowd of a few dozen, and it literally was only a few dozen people doing violence. But a, but a few dozen people with sticks and flagpoles and bear spray does not an insurrection make. But let's let's be again let's be perfectly honest as well to say that there was in fact violence going on. There were dozens of law enforcement officers who were severely injured that day. In my own camera frame, I capture many many of these officers being pulled off of the uh, off of that battle line. And, and taken behind the line to receive first aid themselves. Uh, many of them, were, because they were, no one was expecting what happened uh, that more. At least, well, let's back that up. At least the Capitol police officers were not expecting uh, that uh, that violence to occur that morning because they were not told of the potential that had been uh, uh, relayed from the FBI to house and senate leadership and to the president's office and to other uh, capital authorities and because those frontline officers were unprepared many of those guys had no riot gear no tactical gear whatsoever they had no helmets and uh, they they received uh, concussive blows to the head some of them had their vertebrae um, crushed and, and as, as well as many other cuts and bruises and other types of injuries so there, there was there was a real battle going on it just wasn't with um, gunfire. Does that puzzle that you at all? Uh, it, well, it's a it's a major part of the of the question of the day. I I, I mean, I, I can I can editorialize on that uh, to the cows come home. And in fact, I have I've written tens of thousands of words on this particular topic with a real focus on why a the the um, the aggressive perpetrators of the rioting and of the violence that day did not show up with um, firearms. And my other question, of course, is even though the the violent perpetrators were not using uh, guns in their attack against uh, the police officers, 
they still were launching in many cases what could be construed as deadly uh, weapons at the officers because when you when you take a, a, a flagpole with a spear tip on it and you fire it into a, a crowd that's a you know that's a, that is a deadly op, uh, object that thing hits a, a law enforcement officer in an unprotected uncovered face hits him in the eye and uh, you could you you could be killed that way as well as the fact that some of these guys were, were taking heavy objects such as bats, um, hockey sticks, um, uh, axe handles, and other heavy blunt force objects and swinging uh, with all their might at these law enforcement officers. That's People are killed by baseball bats every year. Sure. And so, so these are, these are, uh, are, are the types of ta- attacks that would certainly by law justify those officers drawing their own weapons and at the very least drawing down on those violent perpetrators and they never did and so my biggest question and this and I, th- I think it's the most important question of the day beyond beyond um who organized the riot itself who, who were the conspirators on, on uh putting that together but um my biggest question of the day is why were the Capitol Police not allowed to defend themselves and who was calling the shots and telling them that they couldn't? That's one of those things that we talked about a few minutes ago that it's one we may never know because nobody's going to step up. They've had the opportunity. The January 6th committee, by the way, isn't even interviewing Nancy Pelosi. They reached out to her and she refused. She said, I don't have anything to add to the conversation. And she was, of course, ultimately in charge of the protection of the Capitol, at least the planning of it. Um, we'll never know. Well, Dan, yeah, Dan, the last the last time we spoke, as you recall, I was actually in D.C. And it was it was on the week of the anniversary of January 6th. So this right. was just this past January. Yeah. And I was there for all of the events that Nancy Pelosi herself had put together, the, her, her week of commemorative events leading up to the, the anniversary date uh, of January 6th. And so I was there uh, covering that. I was doing interviews. I was attending all of those commemorative events, getting a feel for what was going on. And the one line that Nancy Pelosi kept using over and over and over and over again uh, as at the events that she actually personally spoke at, as well as to the press, she kept using this one line. She says, we are doing these commemorative events to, and I quote, to establish and preserve the narrative of January 6th. The narrative. Now, yet to, well, and, but this is a very interesting choice of wording. She said to establish, establish and preserve the narrative. <laughs> Well, it was already out there. The facts were out there. She uh, obviously just wanted to make sure the narrative was befitting the perspective she wanted everybody to believe was exactly what happened. Which is, which is of course, is why she hand-selected, when, when it's called the House Select Committee, that doesn't mean that she gets to, as the Speaker of the House, gets to select that committee. And as you mentioned earlier, this is the first time in American history that the opposition party was not able to seat members of their own choosing on any particular uh, House committee. And that's what took place this time uh, as as the, the GOP leadership chose their members. Uh, Nancy disallowed it and she picked uh, two um, anti-Trump members only two uh, Republicans on the committee and they are um, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a dog and pony show. 
Absolutely. Well, let's do this. Let's let's fast forward to your inside the Capitol. You did go mm-hmm. in, and obviously that's illegal. And we're going to get into that in our third segment. But you're inside. Walk us through kind of from the 10,000-foot level, what you saw, and then at the end of this segment, I want you to segue right into the Ashley Babbitt occurrence. Yeah, by, by the time by the time I was both entering and in the Capitol, the, the violent break-in had already happened. And in fact, it was it was completely unknown to, to those of us that were entering at that point. Uh, one, one of the most important factors that the American people should know, and, and if you've not seen the reporting from alternative media and from independent journalists, you don't know that any barriers, barricades, do not enter sides, uh, signs, restricted area signs, all of those had been earlier that day torn down and removed and hidden. We have all of that video. Myself, this is not my video because I was not here. I was not there in that er, that first wave of people who came to the Capitol to make sure that um, all of these signs had been removed. And so this was part of the, the planned structure of the day. Whoever, in fact, those conspirators are, this was very well organized. And, and there's plenty of video of the of these barricades and these signs being pulled away, hidden, turned over so that the arriving public could not see them. So by the time we got to the Capitol doors on the west side, there there was not only no resistance from law enforcement whatsoever. They were all standing around talking to each other in small groups or chatting on their phones or that sort of thing. But it was a free flow at this point of hundreds of people moving through the, the west side Capitol door. What we What we were not aware of at the time was that someone just minutes before – the police stood down, had busted those windows in, and then unlocked those uh, doors from the inside. And we have subsequently seen those videos. And some of those individuals have been arrested, and some of those those individuals involved in that that uh, breaking and entering have not been arrested, which is a, another big question. So when I moved into the Capitol, I was pretty myopic, myopically uh, focused on just capturing as much of the scene as possible, because again, Dan, it is unlike, you know, like I said before, seeing if you've never been in the middle of a crowd of hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people, uh, it's it's quite an experience. Well, being inside the United States Capitol with people moving through that building, carrying their banners and their flags and chanting and singing. And it was it was rebel. It was just pure revelry in there at the time that I. I at my, from my initial vantage point, there was no violence. There was no um, no interactions with law enforcement whatsoever. There were there were law enforcement officers finally showing up in my camera frame, but they were not restricting crowd movements whatsoever. And often they were flowing with the crowd. And then the next uh, the, the next and most significant thing that I saw I saw the first. Uh, damage when I entered Nancy Pelosi's uh, chambers hallways and through her office doors. I did not enter her offices, but through her office doors, I could see that uh, tables and desks had been overturned and files had been rifled through and bookshelves had been emptied and and, and the contents scattered on the floor. So there were, that was the first time that I had seen inside the building any uh, untoward action by the crowd. And then, then as we, as we, progressed and we moved through uh, the building and through in certain of the of the large 
larger chambers like the um, the uh, the crypt room or the uh, statuary hall, the the crowds got so huge and so compressed, and and the bodies were just like moving and in, in, in slow motion trying to work their way into the next uh, hallway. That I would just get up and I would I would get as far away from them as I couldn't get away from the crowd, but I'd get up against the wall or up on a bench and then and then zoom my camera in down on the crowd and, and just sweep it back and forth and capturing as much of of the scene as I could. And then as that scene would pass, then I would move behind them into the next uh, area. Well, ultimately, that led us to the entrance or the hall, the big, wide, grand hallway leading to the entrance to the house chambers, uh, the, the U.S. House of Representative chambers. And, the, and again, there was a crush of people such that I had to get up and out of the way from them in order to, to, to do my job. And they were singing and they were chanting and we could see and hear a little bit further down the hall that there were, there were people pounding on the house chamber doors. Well, that's the scene. And many of your, your listeners will have, will recall that famous uh, photo capture from a, from a um, photojournalist inside the house chamber who captured the security, the house security with their handguns drawn where they had flipped furniture over and barricaded that door from the inside. And they're, they're leaning over that furniture with their handguns, handguns pointed at that chamber door. And then you could see one of the protesters faces through a broken window in that door. And I was on the other side of that door, uh, back a significant, uh, ways, but that's where I was at the time. And then something happened and we don't, we didn't, none of us were in the area where we were at the time knew what was taking place, but at, at a specific uh, moment in time, tear gas was released inside the Capitol there and there at that house chamber's door. And this huge crowd that was trying to penetrate that door into the house chamber suddenly started, went from singing and chanting and revelry to panic because the tear gas had been released and the, the shouts of tear gas, and then all of a sudden there was a stampede back the other direction. I want to interrupt you and just point yeah. out, those guns that you saw there, those were the first ones you had seen where any officer had drawn a gun at this particular time. Yeah, and, and I did not see that because that was on the other side of the door. Gotcha. At this point, okay. I'm, at this point, and now I'm only minutes away from seeing, at this point I'm only minutes away from seeing the guns come out. Right. Because, because at, at some point within... 60 to 120 seconds of this event where this tear gas was released, there had been a shot in the Capitol fired. You heard it. And no, we could not hear it. No, okay. this, 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 this happened actually on the other side of the house chamber. Understand. So, so this, at the, at this point, the only thing that was evident was something had changed and, had no idea, but the mood, the attitude of law enforcement had changed. And as I rounded the corner and I actually, once the crowd cleared, I actually went right straight into the, the, the tear gas cloud. I, it, it's an amazing thing. You know, I'm, I'm not military trained and, and I've never been trained, you know, to, to, um, uh, experience tear gas, but I had, I had already been hit by enough of it outside that by the time that this was released inside, it was almost like I had gotten used to it or built up an immunity or something. It just, it wasn't bothering me anymore. And I walked right into this cloud 
and I uh, took a left towards the, um, for anybody that's ever done a tour there or is familiar with it, with the Capitol, I took a left towards the House Ways and Means Committee chamber uh, down this hallway, and now for the first time all day long, I see law enforcement with their weapons drawn and everything has changed at this point. Now you can hear their radios are chattering. Uh, there's there, all of their radios are exploding with cries of shots fired. Uh, we need triage on level two, blah, blah, blah. You know, there, there was just this, in, in, you know, complete total, uh, atmospheric change and every single law enforcement officer had their weapons drawn. So in an instant, you knew this thing had morphed from a peaceful demonstration or a demonstration to we got problems. Yeah, it, 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 that's exactly. And, and of course, from the time that I arrived at the Capitol, um, there was not everybody was peacefully demonstrating, obviously. Sure. But, the, but, but uh, by the time we got inside the building, it was... Um, overwhelmingly peaceful, not knowing what was happening in other parts of the, you know, it's a, it's a large building. Yeah. So, so there were obviously things taking place in other areas that, that I did not witness firsthand, but from my perspective, everything had changed when those guns were drawn. And I actually, at the time, at this time, I then had my very first interactions with law enforcement and you can actually hear me in my own videos asking a couple of the uh, cops there, I asked them, I said, are you planning on using those weapons on us? Now, the, re the reason why I was asking that question was, was um, it was such a stark change in the way that they had handled themselves in the two hours prior leading up to this moment <clears throat> that I had no idea what was going to take place. Yeah. And it was, and, and, and again, me not being a war correspondent or somebody that chases riots around the com the country, I didn't know what to expect. It, it was just pure curiosity and, and concern for my own safety. I was just flat out asking, are you planning on using those weapons on us? Because I, I knew why I was there. I didn't know why the person next to me was there. And I didn't know if they were just, you know, would, would, if the person next to me had decided to do something, um, uh, either unlawful or aggressive toward those officers, if they just wouldn't un start unloading on us. So let's fast forward, finish this segment, take us from where you are now to when you realized a woman had been shot and she died. Yeah, so I, um, I, I, I filmed the chaos that was happening at this point, and it was this was in a rather very very large staircase lobby um, vestibule, uh, and and uh, with with large staircases going up and down, and and now we have more and more. For the first time, I see a tactical unit, and I, I record on my camera a tactical unit entering the area. It was actually an ATF a police tactical unit, fully, fully, you know, uh, SWAT teamed up uh, in in appearance. And then I saw another dozen or so uh, DC Metro police moving up those stairs into the building. There was a lot of chaos going on on the other side of the stairway, and that was the area where Ashley Babbitt had, in fact, been shot. But again. All I knew was that I was hearing on the radios as they were going off, shots fired. I had no clue who or uh, who had pulled the trigger. I didn't know if, if it was a um, 
cop who had been shot or if it was a protester who had been shot. There was just no no evidence whatso, uh, whatsoever at this time. And so I eventually worked my way out of that scene and went downstairs to the lower level of the Capitol. And, and to be perfectly honest, and it's a little bit humorous, Dan, I had, I had been at at the um, uh, in the in the capital area because our hotel was in Arlington, Virginia, and I had been in the capital area that since about nine thirty that morning, and now it's after two p.m. and I haven't seen a restroom yet. So yeah, we got to uh, we got to take a, a potty break, huh? Yeah, and <laughs> and so I, I I literally asked the cop, and I, I it was a female uh, Capitol Police officer. I asked her. I said, "Is there a restroom in the public restroom in here?" And she actually she kind of she kind of chuckled. She said, "I actually I don't really know." She said, "This is not my uh, this is not my normal beat. I don't usually work this part of the building." She said, "But you're welcome to go downstairs and see." And so that's exactly what I did. I so when I went downstairs, I suddenly found myself completely, totally, one hundred percent alone for the first time all day long. I am by myself in this this vast, um, you know, uh, labyrinth of hallways down there. And so I'm walking around looking for a public restroom, which I did not find. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes up from behind me and grabs my right arm. And it was a um, it was another female Capitol police officer. And she was uh, actually very, very small in stature. Uh, very, she was short, petite. And she took my right arm and she said, um, sir, can I safely escort you out of the building? To which I said, I answered, I said, do I need to be safely escorted out of the building? She said, yes, sir, you do. I said, okay. And obviously I'm not going to resist uh, an officer's request or orders. Of, of you know of any type even a small little lady like herself and so she's walking me down this in- incredibly long hallway towards a, an exit door on the south side of the capitol and three times dan she asked me this question and i thought it was very odd she said she would say sir do you feel safe now and i said yeah i'm fine now by contrast, her hands were shaking like a leaf. Yeah, the question she held the, my. The question was, she didn't feel safe. That well, that's exactly it. And so, and, and when she did, in fact, ask me the third time as we got close to that door, she's on my right side, holding my right arm, my right um, uh, bicep, and and she said, and she asked me again. She said, "Sir, do you feel safe now?" And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, but what about you? Do you feel safe? And she said, no, I don't. And what I did, what I did not realize at the time was she was actually trying to distract me and pull my attention away from what was happening on the left side of this lower level door. Ah. And so she was, she was frightened. She was obviously on edge, but she was she was smart with what she was doing because what she did not want me to see, which ultimately because of the, of the, the noise that was happening is I, I, I jerked my head to the left and, and Dan literally no more than six feet away from me was somebody covered in blood shirt off multiple law enforcement officers trying to resuscitate this person and a growing pool of blood around this person. And I jerked my head back towards the cop. And I said, I said, is he shot? 
He said, yes, he is. I said, who shot him? She said, we did. I said, why did you shoot him? He pulled a gun on us. Hmm. Well, this was, in hindsight, nothing more than the, the uh, you know, battlefield chaos and the blur of, of the, the situation. Because they, these officers had no idea what was going on. All they're hearing is chatter over their phone. All they know that for, is for the first time in, the, uh, in, the, in that event of the day, shots, quote unquote, shots, plural or singular, whatever, have been fired. And they're all reacting uh, thusly. And so there's nothing but rumor, chaos, confusion, and they don't know what's going on. In fact, I'm standing six feet away from this person being worked on, uh, feverishly worked on. And I think it's a male. I think it's a guy. And she did too. And so we came to the, as we came to that outer south side door, immediately the doors busted open from the outside. And this was, there was an EMT emergency crew, paramedics, a large, you know, a gurney coming in that door. So we had to step aside and allow that, that gurney in. And then as we, as that passed us, then we walked to the door and she said, sir, you be safe. And I said, well, you too. And then I walked out the door. Well, on the South side, as I exited, I realized that I was actually inside a police line at the time. So there was a barricaded police line formed in that area. So I'm now inside on the inside of the, of a police line and they were not interested in me whatsoever. And I think part of that has to do with just the way I was carrying myself. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't wearing any Trump attire, not, not even, you know, not a ball cap, not a, not a shirt, not a, uh, not a flag, nothing. And, and, and because I was carrying myself with purpose, uh, as a, uh, as a, I would hope most journalists would, they didn't bother me. And so what I did rather than exiting that area, I posted up outside that door because obviously if the gurney went in that door, it was coming out that door. And, it, and as I posted up with my camera right directly outside that door, uh, sure enough, 60 seconds later, the gurney came out with full um, uh, tactical unit escort. They were still working on her feverishly. And for the first time, I was able to see that it was a female for two reasons. Um, her shirt was off. So I was able to see uh, covered in blood, her bare breast, uh, very, very, you know, uh, close proximity. And then in addition to that, her face was turned my direction and her open eyes were blank and dead. And I've seen death before and I saw death right then. And I knew that whoever this woman was, that she was gone and she was not coming back. And I, uh, I filmed the gurney as it came down the ramp and as it left the area and finally was lost into the crowd going towards the ambulance. But um, uh, as soon as that, that incident was over, I actually texted because I had been separated now at this point from the gentleman that I had went to the Capitol with. We'd been, we'd been separated for over an hour and a half at this point. And I texted him and said, shots fired. Um, civilian female has been hit. And I, I actually said, in that text, uh, right after 3 PM, I said, she's not going to make it. And that was before any, any, uh, news reports of, of that. It was a female that her name was Ashley Babbitt and that she in fact, uh, had, had, had passed away. Wow. What an, what an experience. 
Um, we're going to take our second break. When we come back, Steve, I want you to weigh into the aftermath of what happened that day. And the aftermath I want you to go into is exactly what's happening to you right now. Steve Baker with us. He was there on January 6, 2020 at the Capitol. He witnessed firsthand and he recorded it for posterity. Some of the things that went on there. He'll be back with more right after this. Join in the conversation. To find out how, see the homepage at truthnewsnet.org. This is TNN. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bacon with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months of participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep, there's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Good Friday, TNN Live, and we're going back a little over a year, January 6, 2020. Election's over, about to inaugurate a new president, and the outgoing president had a big rally at the Capitol, and uh, a lot of stuff happened back then. All kinds of different stories are out there about things that happened. And I can tell you this about Steve Baker, who's with us now. He was there, photojournalist. He saw a lot, but he'll be the first to tell you he didn't see it all. There was a bunch more that happened. So, Steve, where I want to go with it right now is you have been obviously very impacted by that day and all the circumstances but it didn't end just there for you. We heard, I, I, I heard a new number yesterday, and tell me if I'm wrong. I heard that 1,170 people have been arrested for those actions. And some of them have been prosecuted, very few of them. Deals cut and all that kind of stuff. But you haven't even been personally reached out to. I think you told me your attorney had uh, got a phone call from the Department of Justice about that. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, I, I actually, I think the number right now is uh, the official number of those charged for various activities at the Capitol is 816 as of this morning. And and then there, there are 
obviously some guys that are caught in this nether world. Um, they're in suspended animations, le- legally speaking, that have not, uh, they basically had their civil rights taken away from them because they've been arrested under terrorism and Patriot Act laws and they're not receiving due process. And we don't exactly know how many of those uh, individuals are caught in that particular circumstance. But, but as the days and the weeks move on, most of those are finally receiving uh, their, their specific charges. And uh, it, it's just, it's re- it's a really hard number to nail down what the, what the department of justice tells us is that they intend on eventually charging roughly 2,500 people with various crimes. And this is, these are crimes related, ranging everywhere from what I call a glorified trespassing charge to um, uh, the more severe conspiracy charges. And there's only been 41, 42 people actually charged with conspiracy so far. I heard, yesterday, I heard yesterday that the specifics of one hearing that took place one of the guys, all the charges were dropped against him because in his uh, testimony uh, in the court, he said that the policeman had removed the barriers. And when that when that happened, he felt like that was kind of a come on in sign. And so he went in based on that. And that particular judge ruled that that was reasonable for him to think that. And the uh, trespassing charges were dropped against him. Yeah, that, that's that's correct. He he actually had four misdemeanor charges against him. He had not done any violence that day, and um, he was able to convince. Now he he opted for a bench trial rather than a jury trial, which was a very smart move in D.C. because you're not going to get a fair jury trial if your jury pool is only selected from D.C. residents. And you're lucky to uh, get a, a, a an impartial judge there too. Well, the, <laughs> incredibly, he was incredibly fortunate. The judge, a the judge, he got, but there was actually video that they were able to. That he and his attorneys were able to produce, literally showing a, a law enforcement officer welcoming welcoming him into the building. There you go. Which ha- which happened um, in many many uh, instances around that building, but there were also other instances where. Um, windows and doors were in fact broken into so what so, about you what about you well in turn if we're if we're leaping forward in time yes it was exactly nine and a half months after uh january it was late september um last year before i ever received a call from the fbi and they did contact me directly it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and uh, the guy introduced himself, says, hi, my name is Agent Doss, Special Agent Doss. I'm with the FBI. and just wondering if you had a few minutes to talk. I said, well, what <laughs> took you guys so long? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. What yeah. took you so long? He said, oh, yeah, well, we've had a lot on our plate. I said, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was it was a, um, a, a pleasant conversation. I, I, I happened to be and what was interesting, Dan, uh, and you'll 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 you should find this quite interesting is they already were very, very familiar with me, my writings, my, my movements, my videos. In fact, they knew exactly not only where I was at that moment, but they also knew that the very next day I was going to be in the DC area. And he said, Hey, I see that you're going to be uh, speaking at an event uh, outside of DC tomorrow night. I was just wondering if you'd have time maybe early in the afternoon to have a chat with a couple of us. (laughs) 
and I said, uh, as well, I said, no, that's not going to be convenient for me uh, tomorrow. I said, mainly because my attorney will not be present. And he goes, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, okay, well, uh, yeah, we can, we <laughs> yeah. can schedule that at another time. With yeah, that that well. representation thing. We got to kind of try to they and they try to slip through that all the time. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 were again they were very accommodating. Uh, there was no pressure whatsoever. Uh, I did not have a tactical unit show up at my door uh, either in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning with with guns drawn and lasers, you know, focused on my my face and my chest. In other words, uh, you didn't did, you didn't get the Roger Stone treatment. I no, I didn't get that treatment, but I did, <laughs> I, I didn't get the treatment of many other individuals that were at the Capitol that day who have been arrested in that manner. Yeah. Uh, and 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 of course, unfortunately, many of those who were arrested in that manner and have their have had their lives completely overturned. Uh, did they weren't journalists, but they were they were just average citizens, and they didn't know violence. They uh, they they did no property damage. Uh, they were carrying their Trump flags or, or singing their songs and chanting their chants or whatever they were doing. And, and yet they've been arrested in that type of manner. But the, uh, but for myself, I think that it was pretty evident early on with these law enforcement or these, these FBI agents that they had to tread a little bit more carefully with me because of my background uh, in uh, journalism, writing, political analysis, that sort of thing. So, uh, they, they, they were very, very accommodating and with uh, my schedule and my attorney's schedule. So from that point forward, I gave the, the agent's number to my attorney and let him handle it from that point, uh, that point forward. So we eventually, uh, we scheduled, um, a, an interview with the FBI about three weeks later. So this was now we're into October of last year. We went to the FBI headquarters. And when we arrived at the headquarters, the two agents met us at the door and immediately told us that they could not do the interview that day, that some, that they, they had a, a problem. And I didn't know what the problem was. They didn't tell us what the problem was, but they said they would be back in about 10 minutes. They had us sit down in the lobby at their headquarters uh, here in Raleigh. And they uh, went back in the back. It took them about a half hour. They came back and... Uh, told us that they could not do the interview because apparently there is a statute in the Code of Federal Regulations that prevents any law enforcement agent from interviewing a member of the press without express written consent from the U.S. Attorney of the United States Office. So that's shocking I, to me. Yeah. So, so we had to leave and they could, they were not allowed to do the interview. So wow. we left, they uh, made the, the necessary applications with the U S attorney general's office. They received permission. My attorney got a, a formal letter um, describing the terms under which I would be interviewed. Uh, the, they, the, 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 the very short uh, strokes on that, Dan, are that, that nothing that I said in the interview could be used against me uh, in a court of law unless I perjured myself in the interview. So I was free to go so long as I didn't tell a lie. We rescheduled the interview. We showed back up later that month, uh, a couple weeks later, and um, I spent two hours being interviewed by the FBI. And and 
contrary to the advice of my own counsel and many, many others, as you, as you know, when you, when you have tens of thousands of people that read your stuff every day, you get a lot of private messages. And one of the messages I was receiving from retired law enforcement and uh, other federal um, uh, or people that have retired from the Department of Justice in some manner that were all telling me, don't do the interview, you know, <laughs> plead the fifth, don't open your trap. They're, they're lying to you. Anything you say can, can, and, and in fact, will be used against you, despite the uh, the letter from the U.S. Attorney's Office. So you were advised to be Sergeant Schultz. I know nothing. Yes. I know nothing. Yes. Yeah. But but to, but to be honest with you, Dan, uh, that was that's that's not the way I'm wired. And secondly, um, I had as many questions for them as they had for me. Because so how how that go? Did you get anything well, out of it? You know, this was this this was now over ten months after. Uh, January 6th and I'm at this point have written maybe a dozen articles on the events of that day and now I'm headlong into my own investigations I'm developing my own sources my own contacts trying to get to the bottom of the conspiracy of, of how this happened and and I, I'm, I'm going to take a quick diversion here and say this for your listeners is that I, I don't. I don't have a, a, a partiality to either side of the truth. I, I'm not. I, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. Um, I have a rather jaundiced and skeptical view of both the the leadership and the you know the the members of both of those parties. And so when I go at when I go at a subject like this, I don't care. I don't care where the truth takes me. I just want to get to the bottom of it. I yeah. want to know what really happened. Yeah. And and so in in that process of my own investigation, well, this is my first time to speak to a couple of FBI agents. So that's exactly what happened in that interview is I was the first person to ask. The, I'm the one being interviewed, and I was the first person that, to ask the questions. And and I told them uh, that my initial statement to them as we're sitting at the table, of course, as you can, you know, we've all seen it on television. It was, it was a rather large room, large table. Um, myself and my attorney are, are on one side of the table. The two agents are on the other. Uh, the the audio and video recording apparatus is is installed in the wall, and it's recording everything that we're doing, and everything that we're saying. And I told those officers at the very beginning, I said to them, I said, look, I have been advised by counsel. I looked at my attorney. I said, including my, my lawyer sitting right here that, um, I should not be doing this today. And I said, but the reality is, is I have as many questions for you as you probably have for me. I said, so let's rock. Wow. How'd it go? Uh, it was interesting. It was, it was, uh, there was, very rarely any any real tension there were there were a couple of moments um where they tried really really hard to get me to acknowledge or confess in some way that i knew i was entering restricted spaces but as i as i've explained already in in this uh interview with you here today is that all such barricades, all such signs had been taken down and hidden even by the time I arrived on the, you know, the outer fringes of the, the, the Capitol uh, uh, lawn, much less up on the Capitol terrace and then also into the building itself, that there was absolutely no resistance whatsoever of any kind and no signage and nobody, no cops telling us not to go in. So they, they tried many times to try to get me to cave or to give in to the fact that I knew that I was entering a restricted space and which I never did. 
and and then there was uh, in the in the process of of talking about the day and asking my own questions there was that one moment and if you you probably if you watched my, my most recent uh, video and podcast you saw that down where i where i ultimately reached a point in the conversation where i was asking them why did law enforcement not use their overwhelming firepower against a, a basically an unarmed crowd to stop them from entering the Capitol. Did you get any answer? Well, the agent said, the agent said, what were they supposed to do? Shoot them? (laughs) And that's, that was about the most antagonized he got at me all day long. Yeah. And I said, um, yeah, (laughs) you know, because I I can, I can guarantee you whether you're a civilian or whether you're a law enforcement officer, if you're getting pounded on the head by a baseball bat or similar object, you're going to draw your weapon. Violence is violence, and it doesn't matter if you're a cop, an FBI agent, or a private individual. If you're attacked, you're going to retaliate. You're going to defend yourself at least. There wasn't any of this that happened, and that shocked a lot of people. What answer did he give you when you said that? Well, that's what I said. I, I, I said, I am, I said, my number one and most overwhelming question that I cannot get answered from any source whatsoever is who ordered these law enforcement officers not to defend themselves. Now, now let's, let's, let's get really specific here about, let's go back to this crowd size again, because this is one of the, 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 biggest parts of the narrative that have been that has been misrepresented uh, and manipulated by the mainstream media and by Nancy Pelosi's committee and that sort of thing. While there were hundreds of thousands of people there for the rally, and then there were tens of thousands of those that marched over to the Capitol, what what was not known to those ten thousands of people marching towards the Capitol was that this, there was this very, very small cadre of individuals with actual violent intent who were already there long before Trump ever finished his speech. And they were the ones that initiated the first barricade breakthrough. And Dan, this is, this is uh, famously recorded. It's got the, the character of Ray Epps, who is the, you know, unindicted uh, co-conspirator who's not, Who's, who, who is the story of Ray Epps has still not been told, even though he has been interviewed by the January 6th committee. He was the single most high-profile agent provocateur of the day, including the evening before when he was rallying people and telling people, we must go into the Capitol tomorrow. And he's caught in multiple cameras and uh, multiple locations around the Capitol at the rally itself. And then on the, 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 the Capitol steps of telling people we have to go inside the building. He was there when the first barricade was violently pushed over. And I even showed, like you, you, you saw, I showed a still frame capture of the cop who was shoved to the ground yes. in that first um, um, breach, barricade breach. And this was, again, this was long before the, the Trump supporters uh, at the rally had started working their way over. So how did this with the FBI, how did it end for you? Well, 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 for me, the, the, the interview ended with them telling me that they had no idea whatsoever 
ever whether I would be charged or not, but that if I was, it would be um, two misdemeanor charges. It would be the trespassing charge and um, uh, probably uh, this other misdemeanor of inter basically interfering with the you know the process of government that day. Because the Congress was in session, obviously, there to certify the election results that day. So take us from that day to today regarding you and your situation with the FBI, with the DOJ. Is it, is well, it still two weeks, alive? Two weeks later. Yeah, two weeks later, my, uh, my uh, attorney received a, a letter from the uh, Department of Justice, from one of the uh, special uh, uh, one of the the U.S. attorneys uh, assigned to the the task force, the January sixth task force, and in fact they were going to charge me. But in my case, they I, I did not receive the two charges, or I was not threatened with the charges that the FBI agents told me that I was being investigated for. Uh, I received a charge of or the statutes that they relayed to my attorney. One of them, and the most absurd one of all, was one. Um, called interstate racketeering and and ostensibly the reason why i was going to be charged with interstate racketeering is that i had gone to dc with the intent of profiting from an illegal activity and that's because of your movies or the the, the videos that you took they've they've appeared in news shows around the world obviously correct people, yeah my, my videos my videos some of my videos have been licensed to um everyone from the New York times to, uh, HBO. It's in the, my, I've got a, a half a dozen of my video clips are in the HBO documentary about that day. And of course, people in, in uh, government today, they look at something like this and think just like they think, Oh, they're going to monetize it. You know, this guy came up here to try to get some stuff that he could sell and make money on racketeering. Yeah, well, for in order for in order for me to be charged with uh, racketeering, there has to be conspiracy involved. There sure. has to be foreknowledge of the event taking place. Yeah, and I've never, you know, and, and even though the narrative is is that this was a uh, collusive event between the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters and some other, you know, uh, Trump narrative wells, that sort of thing, um, I, I've I've never had associations with any individuals or the groups themselves in any way, shape or form. So first of all, they would have to prove conspiracy. They would have to prove that I knew that this event was going to take place and, and unfold in the way that it did. And that I had intent to profit from that going forward. Well, not only did I not know what was going to take place or have uh, associations of any of those types, uh, not only did I not know what I would capture in my film, in my camera that day, I was not the one who contacted uh, uh, news agencies with requests to sell my videos. They contacted me. Yes, big difference. And, and as a result of that, I signed a uh, an agency agreement and uh, got representation for my videos. And uh, and guess what, Dan? That's what uh, journalists do every day. That's so what where, independent journalists do every day. Where do we stand today on this very thing? Well, since since the day that I was uh, threatened with with being charged in, in prosecution, twenty two weeks have now passed, and they've not followed through. They actually, the letter that my attorney received twenty two weeks ago said uh, that his client, me, would be charged within the week, and that was twenty two weeks ago. 
So where we stand today is we uh, we think that our press offensive that we went on immediately and then also the legal team that we put together and secured on my behalf, which includes a team of former federal prosecutors, has 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 left the a U.S. attorney in, in charge of my case um, in the position of wanting to take a step back because we were not going to uh, go down uh, without a fight. Well, and, S- Steve, let me and, let me just say this. Um, yeah. You're an amazing person because of what you did and the way that you did it. And I can tell you this, you're a strong person because of what you've been going through at least the last 22 weeks. I mean, when you think about the DOJ putting you on notice, hey, we're fixing to come get you, and here's why we're coming to get you, and then you look around and see what's happened to others that are in the same position you are, it has to be a scary feeling, but you're handling it pretty well. I think you're a real journalist. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to tell you that I haven't had some uh, heavy-hearted moments and some sleeping, sleepless nights, because I certainly have. But after I got the initial shot, I, I, first of all, I just never believed that they were going to charge me. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there is a long list of independent journalists who are not being charged uh, that were no more qualified or no better credentialed to be inside. You, you have to have a very specific government credential. You have to have an actual congressional press pass to be in that building. And there were many independent journalists who filed stories with mainstream media sources that were just as independent as me that did not, um, uh, well, let's just say they, let's say they conformed to Pelosi's narrative in their presentation of their stories. And I did not. And I think that that was a primary reason for them going after me. The secondary reason I think that they went after me is that in February of 2021, so this is, you know, 14 months ago, in the second very long story that I did about January 6th, only uh, a month and a half after the event itself, I identified through my own sources that there were federal agents that there were U.S. Marshals and that there were uh, United States um, Special Forces operatives embedded in the crowd that day. And I wrote about that in February of last year. And I think that that itself is something that caught their attention because one of the things that they notified my attorney was is that they were going to seize all of my devices. They were going to take my computers, my iPads, my phone, and uh, obviously forensically go through those. And I believe that they were going to be looking for my, uh, my, my sources. Wow. Well, I, I just have this gut feeling. This story is not over. And listen, no. I want to tell you a couple of things. First of all, thank you so much for coming and giving us this update. People need to know, and that's what you're in the business to do. That's what we do here. And you're staying in the middle of the road, and I like that too. You tell both sides and let people draw their own conclusions based upon facts. So here's what I got for you. This is an open microphone for you. Um, I looked a few minutes ago. We had mid-six-figure numbers of people that are listening to this show. So I'm telling you, You have an audience, you have an open door here. As this thing develops and you want to tell the story, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey said, you just give me a call, we'll give you an opportunity to give your story out there. I know you have your own audience, 
but you know our circles intersect a little bit but sure. we're not we're not exactly you're not your audience is not overlaid with mine we need to get as many people in the loop with facts as we can on this because i got to be honest with you there is a overarching scheme this whole thing is planned and i think it's just now beginning to become evident that it's pretty sinister and so i think as it develops and i'm not a gloom and doom guy and i'm not a conspiracy guy but we're talking about the united states government and the department of justice that we know factually has got a bunch of bad people that are there with very sinister ideas and they've already instigated a lot of evil things and uh, there's a lot of plans there that are going to continue to attack the rights of the United States citizens like yourself. So you come back anytime. Well, I appreciate that, Dan. And I'll, I will, I will tell your audience right now that if they will just hang tough for a little while longer, we're getting very, very close to the truth. And when I say we, I am working with other journalists in this um, ongoing investigation, as well as um, my my own work is now being distributed among on the um, the listserv of attorneys that are handling all the these hundreds of of cases right now of, of January sixth defendants. I'm also involved in a uh, the, the development of a story about one of the Oath Keepers that we think is one of the most uh, obscene and tragic uh, cases uh, of, the, of this entire event because of the uh, absolute evisceration of his uh, constitutional rights and his rights to due process and how the, the Department of Justice has handled his case and handled him. He has been locked away in that D.C. detention center now for over 14 months, has not been able to see his family, see his children. He's not being allowed to cut his hair, to shave his beard. He's not being given basic uh, hygiene. Uh, I've actually had several conversations with him directly inside the, the, the prison uh, detention facility itself. And uh, we're, we're, we're about to roll out part one of his story probably later this month. So uh, I would love to tell everybody how to find my stuff. Please do. Yeah, we, we have uh, we have a brand new website going up now, and it's uh, if everybody will write it down, it's the pragmaticconstitutionalist.com. That's our main website. But we also have uh, my primary home is kind of a, my, the, what we call a content creator site, and that is the pragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. The pragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. Uh, obviously my stuff is on Facebook, but which I'm, of course I'm suspended from Facebook right now, but I'll be back on again in a couple of days. Everybody goes down that road sooner or later. <laughs> yeah. This, I, I, I've lost count with how many times I've been put in Facebook jail. Uh, we're on uh, MeWe, Parlor, Gab, Rumble. Uh, I, I no longer post any videos to YouTube. I'm done with that platform and, uh, and I'm sure they're done with me, but the, um, the, the best the best source and the origination of all of our content begins in our our locals community and it, it it is free to subscribe there Dan so anybody can come in and, and get a free kind of a read only description to, but to become a contributing member and interact with me it's where I do all of my personal inter- interactions with all of the people that follow my content it, it all happens there and uh, for as little as five dollars a month they can become a member of the community and then not only get uh, 
first crack at everything that we produce there, but also they're able to directly interact with me. And then uh, we, we produce exclusive content for our, our um, supporting subscribers as well. Wow. Well, you're a brother. We're together in this thing. Please look at us as your partners and keep us posted. And as I said, you've got an audience here anytime you want to give us a call. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. All right. Steve Baker, a friend, a journalist, a real journalist who a uh, novel idea tells what he sees <laughs> factually. We just need more of those kind of people. We're not done here today, folks. Got something I want to talk to you about right after this. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here are the smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh... Jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one on me. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. By the way, anytime you want to grab one of our shows, they all turn into podcasts and they're available for you at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, TuneIn, Google, Stitcher, and even Facebook. So you can go grab it, download it. You'd be able to pass this around to friends. Um, it's interesting when you have an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody that is right in the middle 
of one of the big scandals of all time. This January 6th thing, it's going to go down, go down in American history as being one of the scars in freedom. Nobody yet knows everything that happened and why and who the players were and why all this stuff happened. As Steve mentioned, I can't even understand why there were not many more police. And I don't care if it was National Guard. I don't care if it was D.C. Metro or if it was Capitol Police. There was not sufficient protection there for the size of that crowd. That's where it started, and I don't think it's even close to being over now. So what else is happening? Well, we've got some other things very quickly in the last half hour we want to tell you about. You know that Ukraine-Russia thing over there in the Black Sea? There was a bunch of shooting happening over there, and it's very interesting who lost the shooting back and forth. This came out this morning from ABC. And a major victory for Ukraine, the flagship of Russia's Black Sea fleet has sunk. It is the same ship that demanded the surrender of 13 Ukrainian troops on Snake Island at the start of the war. You recall their response. The troops heroically declined to surrender with a reply, well, that's not really suited for American television. And as Ukraine reestablishes control of the North, the Biden administration is considering sending a top official to Kyiv. CBS4's Bradley Blackburn has the latest. The White House is discussing sending a senior official to Ukraine in a show of support. President Biden telling reporters he is ready to make that visit himself. Yeah. Yesterday, on the 50th day since Russia's invasion began, Ukraine says it hit this Russian cruiser with two missiles, sinking the massive ship. It's going to have an impact on their capabilities, certainly in the near term. Whether it has an impact on their naval capabilities in the long term is just uh, uh, just unclear uh, right now. Moscow refutes the claim, insisting the Moskva sank while being towed during a storm. But they had no idea who they wore up against. In a video posted to social media, President Vladimir Zelensky celebrated his country's ability to hold out longer than anyone expected, but pleaded for more weaponry as the battle in the South continues. Anything to repel Russian forces and stop their war crimes. The U.S. continues to ship Javelin missiles and other military aid that makes its way to the front lines, but it's unlikely to reach the port city of Mariupol, which officials believe is close to falling. Mariupol is in a dire situation and uh, it's extremely painful to receive news from there. Russian TV footage purports to show Ukrainian troops there surrendering. That's a claim Ukrainian officials deny, though they do say more than 20,000 people in Mariupol are believed to have been killed. Bradley Blackburn, CBS News. You know, this is historical in many ways, but I don't think we have ever seen any incident like this. And I think maybe I shouldn't call it an incident. It's an actual war. We haven't seen anything like this in my lifetime. I've not seen an actual major power, a country on the planet that has probably the most nuclear capability of any, just arbitrarily decide to go unprovoked into a country, a sovereign country, and take it. That doesn't sound like things that should be happening in a civilized world. I guess maybe Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, is not civilized. I don't know. But we haven't seen the end of this thing. And I think it's going to continue to get uglier and uglier for the Ukrainian people. We just pray that it won't spread out because Vladimir Putin 
mindset. You can tell he doesn't want just Ukraine. He wants all of those Baltic states that were part of the old Soviet Union where he began his government career in the KGB. We'll keep our eyes on that. Something very interesting came out in news today, and it shocked me when I saw it. Do you remember last year a lawsuit was filed by the ACLU, and it was settled in New Jersey, and it led to convicted criminals who are being incarcerated in prisons, and they are now, by this ruling that came out of this case, they go to the prisons that match their gender identity instead of their biological sex. And guess what's happened now? Two women in this prison are pregnant. Think about that. The women weren't identified. It's not clear if they were impregnated by one or more of the 27 transgender women who are housed in the state's only women's prison. Edna Mahan, Correctional Facility for Women Officials, did say, though, that the sex between prisoners was consensual. (laughs) It's not funny, but I got to be honest with you. I thought them adding that little in there, it made it okay. (laughs) There was no rape involved. Uh, This is just incredible. The Daily Mail report continued in 2021, two Edna Mahan prisoners filed a lawsuit seeking for the gender identity policy to be revoked. This came after they were allegedly harassed by transgender prisoners. The women also claimed that transgender inmates were engaging in sexual activity with cisgender prisoners. Critics of the settlement with the ACLU argue The measure is yet another burden for a state prison that has seen alarming reports of abuse and rape by guards throughout the last decade. You can't make this stuff up. I smell a documentary on, let's see, MSNBC on this. Oh my gosh. The the officers union at the prison, they oppose the policy. Here's what they say. We oppose this policy change believing it would be detrimental to the general population of female inmates that are housed here and also bring added stress to our correctional police officers assigned to this institution. (laughs) The Mail reported that in recent years, Edna Mahan has faced reports of abuse, dysfunction at the institution. Ten prison guards are today facing criminal charges for an alleged assault on inmates, including a transgender woman in 2020 of all times, in January. Well, on another note about some um, little questionable stuff going on, you haven't heard much lately from Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar. And pretty much every time you hear anything about her, it's either very controversial or she's caught up in some kind of unethical activities. This might fit into the latter. It's reported that her husband is reportedly back in business and up in his old shenanigans after he disappeared from the limelight because of a controversy over his consulting firm. They reportedly raked in cash galore, and they got it from Omar's 2020 re-election campaign. After that controversy erupted back in 2020, 
Her husband, Tim Minutes, political consulting firm E Street, stopped its political operations at the federal level. The Minnesota Progressives campaign dished out nearly $3 million to his firm, E Street Group. And that all happened before criticism forced her to tear up the contract in November of that year. Manette and his business partner then appeared to veer away from the political operation. They decided to consult wine and beverage companies. That's interesting. But records show the firm accepted a $15,000 payment from Ilhan Omar's federal committee post on the Farm Labor Party Committee this year. The transaction occurred just two days after Omar's campaign transferred $15,000 to that party. This is crazy, folks. This kind of stuff goes on, and it's just money, money, money. And you find ways to try to hide the fact that it's nothing but, I need some money, write me a check. I think when they do this, if they got to do it, you would think they would just say, you know what, I'm not supposed to do it. I did it. And I'm sorry, we'll make it right. Instead, they never admit doing anything wrong. You remember all the the noise that happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, over the incidents that were happening with, again, um, transgender student, biological boy, identifying as a woman, raping a girl in a school bathroom. And the school board covered it up. Well, that May 2021 incident came to light in October when a video was seen of a father of that girl, Scott Smith. He was being forcibly dragged from a school board meeting after claiming his ninth grade daughter was raped in Stonebridge High School's bathroom by a gender fluid boy in a skirt. Now, my question is, what does gender fluid mean? You know, we just did a story about cisgender transgender, and now we're doing a story about gender fluid. I guarantee you, there's bad stuff in all of this. In fact, folks, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. It can be turned evil on the drop of a dime. At the time of the school board meeting, Smith asserted the school district was trying to sweep the incident under the rug. We find out they didn't even report it to the cops. Elizabeth Lancaster, who's Smith's attorney, said that the accused boy had been charged with two counts of forcible sodomy, one of anal sodomy, and one of forcible fellatio. If someone would have sat and listened for 30 seconds to what Scott had to say in that meeting, they would have been mortified and heartbroken. This is his lawyer speaking. Well, as all this came to light, parents went crazy following the revelation that the perpetrator had been quietly transferred to another school. And at the other school, he sexually assaulted a second student despite the superintendent's assurances after the first rape that no assaults had been committed in school restrooms. And Loudoun County Public Schools denied in required data disclosures that any sexual assaults had taken place at the school that year. Well, Loudoun County Public Schools, they issued a response stating that they are aware that a special grand jury has been convened 
regarding Governor Yunkin's executive order number four issued on January 15th this year. It authorizes the attorney general in the state to investigate incidents at Stonebridge High School and Broad Run High School that took place last year. And he signed that executive order on his first day in office. School board noted it's already taken some measures to address the incident. I wonder what that would be. <laughs> you got two kids, two, two girls that are assaulted by a guy that is identifying as a woman. He raped one, sodomized. I don't know what he did to the other one. How, how does this happen? What kind of environment is there at a school? Not only it's bad enough that it happened, but then they cover it up. They didn't even report it to local law enforcement, which is a law. You have to, I mean, that's a law anywhere. And the only one that's gotten in trouble over this is the dad for making a scene in a school board meeting because they refused to talk about it. If that was my girl, a high school daughter, I had two of them. I still have the two daughters, but they're far from high school now. But I can tell you, back then, if anybody laid a hand on either one of my girls, there would have been hell to pay. And especially if it happened and the school and the school board covered it up. And we have another crazy story. It's about a Democratic congresswoman who doubles down on drag queen story hour for kids. Listen to this. There's nothing more cringeworthy than drag queen story hour is a member of Congress actively promoting drag queen story hour, especially when she doubles down on it. But that's exactly what Representative Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York, has done. Across the country, books are being banned which are depriving our nation's youth. That's Maloney. She tweeted that Monday of this week. But thanks to at NYPL, which is the New York Public Library, and programs like Drag Queen Story Hour, New York City's next generation are getting a well-rounded education about LGBTQ+. LGBTQ+. I, I run out of letters. It's hard for me to keep up with it. The tweet went over much like many of their lead balloons fair, with users on Twitter flocking to call the lawmaker out for her support of that controversial program. We've told you all about it previously here at Truth News Network. Yes, responded one user, please tell me how that helps kids learn science, math, finance, critical thinking skills, as well as be competitive against kids from other industrial nations. Current data tells us it just puts them in America at a disadvantage. Someone get a restraining order for these people, another user urged. Stay away from kids. <laughs> we're, we're, we're having a war in our own nation, not a literal war, but we have a president of the United States with people in his cabinet, senior cabinet members, who are every day breaking federal laws and even breaking laws that have been tested in federal courts 
And the Supreme Court even told the president what to do, and he won't do it. What am I talking about? Remain in Mexico. You remember that uh, that executive order that was put in place by Donald Trump? What it was was all of the flood of these illegals coming across our border, instead of just putting them out around the nation waiting for their hearing, they get a hearing notice, notice to appear, waiting for and hoping they're going to come back to whichever town or city they're supposed to come back for that asylum hearing. Trump said, look, I'll cut a deal with Mexico, which he did. And those people that come here, they log in, they get their notice to appear, but they go back across into Mexico and the Mexican government keeps them there until the asylum hearing date comes up. Well, you know, the obvious happened. They quit coming because they didn't have, they knew they didn't have a legitimate asylum claim. Now, some did, no question about that. But they didn't want to stay over there in some kind of camp the Mexican government put together and wait for months before they get a hearing, so they just quit coming. What's going to happen to Joe Biden over this? If you were with us yesterday, you heard me I I sent a text during the show to Congressman Mike Johnson. He's not only my congressman, he's a good friend of mine. He's on the show periodically. And I'll just read the I'll just read the uh, the text to him. Let me pull it up real quick. And I'll read you his response. Let's see here. Where are you, Mike? Huh. Let me find I'm having a tough, tough time finding him. I've got a million mics in here. Mike Johnson. Here we go. I said, good morning. I hope everything's well. We're on the air right now. Is it legal for Joe Biden to unilaterally forgive $1.3 trillion of student death? I thought Congress controls such actions. Thanks, Dan. By the way, isn't it illegal to allow immigrants to come to the United States without going through immigration processes? And he said, Dan, sorry, I just saw this. We could have talked on the air. That is certainly my argument. And here's what I wanted you to hear. The problem with this president is that he thinks he can do everything by executive order. They have no regard for the Constitution or legal parameters at all. That's from Congressman Mike Johnson. He's not just a congressman. He's, he's a lawyer. He's not just a lawyer. He's a constitutional lawyer, and he's feeling the same problems, feeling the same way we are. Our government is outside with impunity, the rule of law, thumbing their noses on the co-equal branches of the government. The Department of Justice investigates the Justice Department, the court systems. They hear and they weigh in on the legality of all kinds of things, including this very thing. Nobody, and we hear this from the Democrats, we've heard it election, campaign, 
after campaign, nobody's above the law. Well, they can say it till the cows come home, but their actions prove that they believe they're above the law and even the President of the United States. Previously, when Congressman Johnson and I had this conversation, I asked him, I said, what, what, your Congress, what can you do and why hasn't it been done? And he said, all we can do is facilitate lawsuits against the administration to run through the federal courts and when necessary, get to the Supreme Court and get these things resolved. But he said, what's happening? All these things are being challenged in lower courts and the courts are reaching out and telling the executive branch to do this or not to do this. They're not even appealing to a higher court. They're just ignoring and keeping right on going. So what do you do? How do you stop it? He said, the only way is through voting a president out or impeaching a president. And he said, obviously, we can't vote him out until 2024. And he said, impeachment requires the House of Representatives to initiate and then find articles of impeachment that they agree to. And then they pass it over to the Senate, where the Senate then decides if the articles that came over are sufficient to conduct a trial. And he said, first of all, you think Nancy Pelosi is going to initiate Articles of impeachment investigation? Heck no. And then if it gets on the other side, do you think Chuck Schumer is going to push it through and put it out on the floor and call for a trial? So we're really in a catch-22, and it's not a good position for us to be in. I don't like it. And I don't think any American, any honest American, any law-abiding American likes it. I've never heard of. And obviously, I've never seen any action like this in any previous administration. I just don't think it's happened. They're not just doing it, folks. They're doing it with impunity and pretty much laughing in our faces. John Kennedy, Senator Kennedy, weighed in on not just this, but a whole lot of other things. Joining me now is Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Uh, Senator, as I said at the outset of the angle, this seems almost vindictive at this point. What's your read? Well, I'm trying to uh, to be more careful now that I know uh, you can be slapped for telling a bad joke. Uh, but um, in my opinion, unless you have untreated mental illness, uh, most fair-minded Americans understand that while Republicans are not perfect, the other side, or at least most members of the other side, are crazy. And the leader, of course, of the, of the other side is President Biden. Uh, President Biden has been an almost perfect example of ineptitude. The Biden administration stands for more government, higher taxes, more spending, more debt, more regulation, a weaker military, abortion uh, on demand. They want to turn cops into social workers. The Biden administration has mismanaged Congress. It's mismanaged COVID. It's mismanaged uh, immigration. It's mismanaged crime. It's mismanaged Afghanistan. And it's mismanaged inflation. But it's worth asking why. I mean, there's some smart people in the Biden administration. And I think the answer to that is clear, too. The Biden administration 
has embraced and is being run by the wokers. Um, it's, it's easy to recognize the wokers. They, uh, they hate George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Dr. Zeus, and Mr. Potato Head. The wokers also hate America, and they want to beat the crap out of it. And uh, the wokers think they're smarter and more virtuous than the rest of us. Uh, they think all non-wokers are racist and ignorant and misogynistic. Uh, they think they, uh, we should shut up and listen to them and let them run our lives, and, and they'll let us maybe eat meat occasionally. And that is a long-winded way of explaining why the majority of the American people right now trust the Biden administration like they trust a Kmart bathroom. That's an insult to the Kmart bathrooms out there, Senator, but I'll leave that be. Um, speaking of the inflation problem, uh, earlier today, the president suggested once again that it's not really his fault. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has driven up gas prices and food prices all over the world. We saw that in yesterday's inflation data. What people don't know is that 70 percent of the increase in inflation was a consequence of Putin's price hike because of the impact on oil prices. 70 percent. Uh, we're not sure where he got that 70 percent line. The inflation rate was at 7.9 percent in February versus 8.5 percent now. Senator, they're, they're trying to spin this like it's a messaging problem. This is a policy problem through and through. But they keep doing what obviously isn't working, given these disastrous polls for them. Well, here's what the American people see. First, the president blamed inflation on COVID, and then he blamed it on greedy businesswomen and greedy businessmen. And then the president said uh, inflation is caused by unemployment. And now he's saying Putin did it. Uh, and as, as I've said before, I wouldn't be surprised if the White House tried to uh, claim tomorrow that inflation originated in a bat. But the truth is that President Biden has no one else to plausibly blame but himself. And all the American people know, well, let me put it another way. When a honey bun costs 20 bucks and you're homeless on the beach eating seaweed, most Americans are going to blame President Biden as they should. <laughs> when you're homeless on the beach and you're eating seaweed, President Kennedy, no, he's not president, he's Senator Kennedy. What a statesman. That's going to do it for today. Thank you to Steve Baker for joining us here and bringing us up to date on a, a very serious thing that continues to happen because of the J6 committee. We're going to keep him in our loop so that he can come back and give us more information as it develops. Saturday, bullet points tomorrow, big weekend, Easter weekend. Enjoy it. Be with your family. This is the family time. Let's have fun. Thank you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. For you only Suddenly you turned around And smiled at me It wasn't my imagination Had no doubts, no hesitation When it comes to love and know